Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to continue to be your guest on this show that we love. Yes, my guest or just an amazing co-host. Nice to see you, sir. Good to see you. Yeah. Here we are trying to change the world of finance one week at a time. Yes. Uh, yes. We yes. A, we have a, another question. Yeah. Another question. One more step toward changing the world. So let's cool. do it. And just as a reminder to you who are listening at home or watching on our YouTube channel, Real Personal Finance, we have switched it up a little bit. You will see or you will hear that we are talking about different, what we will call elements of your financial life. And when we answer questions for listeners are going to ask you to fill out an elements scorecard so that you can have a better understanding of your finances. And hopefully we can help frame potential answers for you in an even more refined manner than we've been able to do in the past. Please send us your feedback as we're going through this. This is new to us. We are learning as we grow, but our number one goal is to help you understand your finances better so you can make better choices in your own financial life. Yep. Absolutely. And check us out on YouTube where you can see the stuff that Scott and I are talking about. It's just under real personal finance to keep it simple enough. So that is YouTube. If you want to, Scott, maybe even share the scorecard as I'm reading the question or after, whatever you think. Again, we're learning as we go. But we have a question today. This comes from John and Mary. And John says this. He says, hi, Scott and James. I'm married with no kids yet, but we plan to have some. I have a 457B with a good pension, and I plan to start a Roth IRA to max out my retirement as much as possible. I also have a small account, about $5,000, and a brokerage account through Wealthfront. I am 28 years old and I projected to retire at 53. My wife has a 401k with a company match. We are currently renting, but we hope to buy our first home in a year or two. One of my main financial goals in life is to purchase a second home slash vacation home slash lake house in about 10 years so my future kids can enjoy it while they are young this second home would eventually turn into our retirement home as well. My question is, should I max out all of our retirement accounts and consider taking a loan against my 457B or take out contributions from my Roth IRA in order to make a sizable down payment for the second home in the future? Or should I allocate a portion of the savings money into a brokerage account instead and do that for 10 years to save for this down payment? I am leaning towards taking a loan slash Roth contribution instead of brokerage account due to number one, the tax benefits, Two, the simplicity, and three, because I view it as essentially diversifying my retirement by putting that money toward a lake house. John also asks in a follow-up question something about term life insurance versus whole life insurance, which essentially asking what should I do, term or index universal life insurance, which we will also cover. But yep. that is his question. And Scott, you have here pulled up his scorecard that he filled out. You want to I do. And we will bring it down in a minute. If you're watching YouTube, you'll see where the scorecard is going to be big and we're going to be small. We're going to work on that for editing in the future. As I said, we're learning as we go. 
But can we just chat through big picture how their income is working right now? Like big picture wise. So it looks like their savings rate is about 19%. So which means they're saving 19% of their income. So their income, they're saving to retirement accounts, they're saving to some savings accounts, and they're also paying into a pension, which does count as savings, right? Because you're you're paying in, the corporation's going to be in charge of that payout, but you're contributing to that as well. So that does count as savings. That's a really good savings rate, James. Yep. Very healthy. Yeah. Now, on top of that, I would just add that in an email, John mentioned that he'll get about 75% of his pay will probably be considered pension in the future. So for those of you who have a pension, you always just want to check on like, what's the funding status of the pension? And you can reach out to your HR group to ask that question, which basically means, hey, what are the future assets of this thing? And what are the unfunded liabilities of this thing? And how do they mash up? Right? We really care about that. Some pensions are actually in a lot of trouble because they don't have nearly enough money in the coffers to pay for everything that's coming their way. So how much you want to rely on that pension largely depends on how funded the pension is, how great that system is being run. So just be careful with that, John. For living rate, they're spending about 45% of their income and they're only 28. So that's really not bad. It's my personal thought. Yours? I think that's great. And I think there's some of their income that's unaccounted for in this, which we'd want to know, is that being spent, used towards debt, saved, taxes, et cetera. But yeah, if you're living on less than 50%, pretty healthy. Doing well. Yeah. And debt payments were 16, not bad. Now they want to potentially get a home in the future. So our expectation is that's going to go up, but that's just going to bring down probably their living rate because they're going to stop paying rent and start paying some debt. Yep. Yeah. And then taxes were about 13%. So nothing out of the ordinary. And then it looks like they're in the process of building their net worth. You know, their total term is not quite even 10%, right? 0.1 yet because they have assets and they have liabilities. But the whole goal is let's go grow it and help them do better in the future. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a good summary of their scorecard. Anything else you want to go over on this before we pull it down? We're going to pull it down now, but the only thing I wanted to bring up was thank you for writing it about insurance because we would have screamed at you if you hadn't asked the question because you said you want to have children and you're 28 and you have no insurance at this time. Yeah. Yes, which is necessary. I think we can quickly go over that point where in your situation with your income where it is, which is about 150 grand combined, give or take, 100% term insurance over index universal life. Yes. Are there some very nuanced planning points that you could consider that for? Sure. We'll cover those on another episode. This is not one of them. Get cheap term insurance, build up your assets, build up your pension, build up your other stuff. You won't need that insurance forever. And the people that talk about the tax benefits of insurance, there are tax benefits to insurance. Typically, those not typically, always those benefits are going to be magnified if you're in the absolute highest tax bracket and even in a high income tax state looking at their income, they're probably at the lower end of the 22% bracket would be our guess. Yep. So there's really not much that would be saved there. Get term, use the rest of your cash flow to focus on the rest of the question, which is- Couldn't agree more. The only thing I want to add is like, if you're watching our little show right now on YouTube, you're watching me put my hands up and say really small. And what I'm doing is I'm drawing a distribution curve where if you ever took a statistic class, they teach you there's this thing called a statistics curve, right? I actually forget the exact name of it. A normal distribution curve? A distribution curve. Putting all the different chances of things happening on this big curve. And then you have this little tiny section over here. 
which is like so unlikely to happen. It's maybe two and a half percent, maybe 5%, right? Two standard deviations from the norm. The chances of you dying when you're young, really, really small. But the magnitude that has in your life, if you're the main breadwinner in your family, is massive. Anytime we have a probability that is small, but we have a magnitude in our life that is big, we want to look to insurance to help build resiliency into our financial life. And the way we want to do that is typically with a term type product. So we are paying the least amount of money to the insurance company. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Makes sense. The cheapest way to get what you actually need, which isn't the investment portion of it at this point, it's the protection portion of it at this point. So get that, cover your wife, cover your future children, and then use the savings to do things like save for retirement or your home or your second home, which we love. And now let's talk about that. Let's talk about how do you balance retirement, home, second home. Where do you think of that to start? When I think of home, wait, retirement, home, and second home? Yeah. Yeah. I would initially think like, are you saving enough for retirement? One. And the short answer should be if the pension is strong, he won't get social security, but he'll get the pension. We already clarified that in an email question. And then Mary will get social security and whatever she's saving. So they're saving 19%, which is already a really solid savings rate for retirement. So they're probably in a good place. But on top of that, they're going to get 75% of his income as a pension if we just assume it's going to see it through. So they're probably funded more than enough for retirement, which then I would turn to let's get the first home. And I would turn to let's just go save cash as cash because he said he wanted to have a down payment for a home locked in within the next year to two years. Yeah. So if that's the case, I'd want to be saving to simply an online savings account. They're up to like over 2% now. I don't know if you got the alert from Marcus, but Marcus told me (laughs) I get like 2.15% on my money now. Exciting stuff. So exciting. Yeah. I'd be saving it for to short term to a very, very liquid place so we can go make that down payment. Once that's done, then it's just turn and go save the rest of the funds for the next goal, which is going to be buying that next home. And where we go save that, I'd be interested. One, do you have any different opinions on what I've said so far? And then two, he was really asking where should he save and why for the second home was one of the main goals. And I'm just curious to know what you think about that. Yeah, well, I'm going back to his element scorecard right now and just even looking where his savings going right now because they're renting now. And so as, even as we're thinking about buying that first home, the question is how much home can you afford? Yeah. And there's two components to that. There's how much can you afford to put as a down payment, which is money you need to have liquid and ready to put down. And then how much could you afford as an ongoing payment? And you need both of those elements. What we see right now is on a monthly basis, they're saving between their high yield savings accounts and really two of these are separate emergency funds. So I don't even want to think of this as for home, but they're saving $285 a month to a high yield savings account. Yeah. My first question is how much are you paying in rent? Let's assume they're paying 2000 bucks a month, just to use a simple number. Yep. Can you afford much more than 2285 per month, which is the combination of current rent payments plus how much you're already saving? And the reason I'm focusing on this is because I think all of us have a tendency to want to do everything at once. We want to save for retirement. We want to save to our emergency fund. We want to save for our primary home. We want to think about our second home or what we want to have for vacations for children in John and Mary's case. And it's all wonderful stuff, but it's very easy to start getting scattered in so many different directions. Yeah. And if we can focus on first things first, one, you're going to stick with it and get motivated because if you're trying to do everything, you're going to make very little progress in any one direction. Yep. And two, you're just 
likely a lot of people just give up and it's like, oh, I can't seem to get ahead for my home. Or I can't seem to get ahead for my second home. Or I can't seem to get ahead for whatever it is. So the first thing is I don't want to know when you do buy that first home, which it sounds like their goal is to do it in the next year or two, how much could you save yep. for the second home? And then yep. to your point, how do you do that? I wouldn't recommend borrowing against a 457 or pulling money out of the Roth IRA to do that. No. You're essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul type of thing. Now you could make the case to do it because he'll have a pension. Hypothetically, just to use a gross over over simplification, if that pension covered all of their needs in retirement, right? Not it would, but assume it did. Well, then you could theoretically devote all of your extra savings and resources to this home and the second home because you don't need it for retirement. Agreed. You're saving to retirement because that pension probably doesn't cover everything. And you're then pulling money out of your Roth to buy this home, or you're pulling money out of your 457 to buy this home. Yeah. The question is, what's the impact to your retirement? And are you making it easier to buy a home, but harder to be on track for your long-term goals? Yeah. So I lean towards the set up a separate account, fund that separate account, almost prove to yourself that you can save enough to be able to afford that second mortgage. And that's probably the best way to save for it. Yeah. No, I fully agree. You know, using it's just it adds to me. It's also about, in a sense, it's kind of reiterating your point, but it's slightly different. It's reiter- It's all about resilience and proving to yourself that you're ready. Yeah. And when you start taking from Peter to pay Paul, like you were saying, you know, you can make it look really good on paper. Corporations are really good at doing this too, making it look like they're great on paper until the moment they're not, because there's a cash crunch. And doing it the way that you're saying of like, hey, let's take in this extra cash. Let's go put it in a brokerage account. If our goal is really 10, 15 years, well, you could go put it in a globally diversified portfolio. You can decide how much risk you want to take. You could make the case being that long of a period of time to even just be 100% equities because you're going to dollar cost average in over the time until you're ready to go do it. Run it in a very efficient manner and let it go grow to have a really nice down payment for a home. But to that point, the other way you could do it is you could just simply say, sorry, in addition to, you would just also simply say, knowing that I'm going to build this lifestyle and I think my future lifestyle with the home is going to cost an extra, make up a number, $1,500 a month to all in run it, right? Like the cost of yeah. the landscaping and everything. Well, then just start living that life now and use that as your savings mechanism for the down payment. So the moment you can afford to make that purchase, you do it and it doesn't change your lifestyle. Now you just have the cool house to live in, but your cash flow didn't change. Yep. I fully agree. It's one of the benefits of having a separate account to save for the second home. You're proving to yourself that you can actually afford it. If you're yes. taking all of your money out of your Roth, or if you're borrowing against your 457 to do this, chances are good you might not actually be able to afford it. Because yes, it's another piece of real estate that you're purchasing, but real estate itself isn't an income producing asset unless it's rented out or you're refinancing it or you're selling it to create cash. It's really in many ways from a cash flow perspective, more of a liability because now you have your primary home, you have your basic living expenses and you have the second mortgage to now pay for. I love that he's thinking about this as, Hey, this is a place I want to raise my family. Awesome. But let's prove to ourselves that we can afford this before we go do that and then end up having some type of a family hardship because you're overextended. 100% agree. And my favorite saying about real estate, I don't know who gave it to me the first time, but it's real estate is a liability that masquerades as an asset. Because mm-hmm. it's just so true once you own <laughs> your yeah. own home or your own rental property or whatever, 
they are lovely over the long run to generate some wealth and some income, especially if you treat them as rental properties. But man, can they cost you a lot along the way in time and energy. So, so be careful. Really yeah. make sure you're ready for it, which is really what we're getting at. Which is what we're getting at. And I'm going back to John's question. He says the reason he's even thinking about pulling money out of Roth IRAs or 457 to fund this is he's saying, I view this as essentially diversifying my retirement by putting that money toward a lake house. Yeah. When I heard that, I kind of went like, yeah, I don't know, John, like, hold on a second. Like, because it's going to be your asset that you're going to live in, I wouldn't think of it as a retirement asset. I would think of it more in your terms as like, yeah, this is like, it's a piece of property that we're going to utilize and we're going to hang out with the kids and the grandkids and make amazing memories. But that's more of a luxury item than it is an income producing asset. Unless we're misunderstanding this. And in the time that he's not, he's only going to be in that house for three weeks out of the season. And he's going to be able to, you know, cash flow it for, I'm just got to make up a number 20 weeks out of the season, right? Because I don't know where that house is, if there's seasonality to it, how all of that works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because this, I think there's this, we've talked about this before with real estate, it can be amazing, but let's even assume that he takes funds from his Roth and puts it in this property. And let's assume this property does grow at eight to 10% long-term like the market does. Very unlikely if there's not income, because usually when people are looking at the IRR, just the rate of return on their real estate, a big factor, that's the income that they're getting. Absolutely. Even if just the appreciation does that, the difference between a property increasing by eight to 10% and your portfolio is you can't just sell a piece of your property to live on in retirement. It's there. It's wonderful. But unless you focus or unless you plan to sell it or do something with it, it's not going to actually create income. So we wouldn't look at it as diversifying in the traditional sense. So I'd not be apt to do that. Another reason, you know, yes, you can always pull funds from your Roth IRA, which is an amazing benefit, but then you don't have those funds in your Roth IRA growing for you. Exactly. Then you can't put them back. Yes. The opportunity cost of that with John and Mary being so young, even if they do this in 10 years, is how much tax-free wealth could you build if you didn't pull that money out? Compare that to the property. Is it really worth that opportunity cost? And for a lot of cases, I'd probably say no. Agreed. So, I mean, anything else you want to say about this? I, I think we've kind of hit the frameworks pretty well. I really hope that this is helpful for you, John and Mary, as you figure out your next steps. Yeah. No, I mean, to summarize, I would say term life insurance as opposed to IUL in the situation. I would say focus on buying that primary home first. Right now, we only see about $285 per month being saved towards something. So make sure you can get that in place before even starting on the second. Yep. And then once you get that first, we would recommend a separate account that is paying for the second. And by doing so, you're one, saving for that down payment. And two, you're proving to yourself you could afford that second home and could afford the mortgage or whatever that might be when the time does come to purchase it. So Yeah. And just as a super quick reminder, the way you would think about that, guys, there's a previous episode on that, but the acronym we always think about is called PITI. It's principal and interest, taxes and insurance. And so just imagine you're going to go buy a property, go find out what would the mortgage payment be right now if the mortgage payment's 7% for 30 years, right? What would the property taxes be? What would my insurance cost be? And then moreover, and I think you should actually add, add something for maintenance of the home on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Add those five pieces together, really three, four, because principal and interest is tagged together in your mortgage payment, it amortizes. But when you add all those together, that's your number. And the question yeah. is now go pretend like you have to go pay it every month. And if all of a sudden you're like, man, this is so painful. I'd much rather use this money to go to Cabo than save for this lake house. Well, cool. 
Now you know your answer. You don't have to pay 6% to sell your lake house. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Good point. Awesome. Well, any other feedback for John and Mary? No, I just appreciate the time. Appreciate the questions. If you would like to have a question answered, please submit at realpersonalfinance.co. If you found anything that we said today to be helpful to you, please share this podcast with people that you love and care about and want them to live a better financial life. We are here to help people do better and make better decisions. That's it. Awesome. Love it. Well, thanks, Scott. Thank you. See y'all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.